Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hey, listeners, it's time for Dr. Kate to set us straight. No, it's not too late. I know that keto is very popular and there's a lot of hype, but it also makes me have some gripes. Maybe I should stop freestyle rapping because you'll push pause and go on with your day, maybe even napping. Anyway, I caught up with the wonderful, incredible, all-powerful Dr. Kate Shanahan at her home in Connecticut, had a wonderful visit, long conversations over dinner, hanging out in the afternoon the next morning, fortunately brought my recording stuff and got some precious nuggets on tape for you to enjoy, and we focused the uh, theme of this particular show on dispelling some of the myths and misunderstandings about the ketogenic diet and the keto lifestyle. Most particularly, the idea that keto is all about stuffing your face with fat in order to stimulate the production of these wonderful ketone bodies that burn cleanly in the brain and in the muscles and deliver all these fabulous benefits like enhanced cognitive function, disease protection, and of course, rapid and efficient reduction of excess body fat. So we know all about the highly touted benefits of keto, but getting there sometimes gets lost in the shuffle and the hype and the excitement of people being able to slam down all manner of consumable items in the name of keto, provided they pass the baseline macronutrient examination of being mostly fat, very low carb, and moderate in protein. So the chief takeaway point is that Ketosis, ketone production, is stimulated by the burning of stored body fat, not ingested fat. This is the kind of clarity I greatly appreciate when I sit down with someone who's highly knowledgeable and no nonsense like Dr. Kate. If you haven't heard of her, go visit drcate.com, buy the runaway best-selling book, Deep Nutrition. You absolutely will not get a better, more thorough education on ancestral eating and the four pillars of human nutrition than that wonderful book. And enjoy our fast-moving conversations. Of course, we hit some important keto topics, but also branch out into various other matters pertaining to health, wellness, peak performance, longevity. Dr. Kate Shanahan from Connecticut. Here we go. Uh, this will be the Dr. Kate setting us straight show because nutritional like information is something we hate. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> Here we great. go. Rolling. And this is picking up the conversation from last night's wonderful dinner by our uh, gourmet chef, our, our catered meal by Luke, who happens to be in-house. He's an in-house, uh, in-house dis- <laughs> at your disposal frequently. Had that great meal from the great local Connecticut uh, market and the quality meats. One of the one of the highlights of living here. You said, uh, but we got into assorted matters of interest, and I'm asking you some point blank questions, and you're like bullshit. And then I ask you another question, bullshit as well. So this is like the bullshit meter is turned on. We got a red light. We could turn on the neon sign. Um, first topic: keto and the incredible hype and popularity of the ketogenic diet, there's some do's and don'ts, it turns out, and there's some misunderstandings, misinterpretations. So where do we start? Turn on the mic. I guess you could start with, you know, you don't need to follow a ketogenic diet to get all the benefits of ketones and for your body to produce ketones, right? Because your body will naturally, a healthy body will naturally produce ketones from your body fat. When you go long enough, between meals that you are sourcing your body fat as a source of energy. But it only happens, you can only do it if you're healthy enough, if your metabolism is not in this unhealthy state that we call insulin resistance or if you're experiencing hyperinsulinemia or 
pre-diabetes, which is kind of the same thing gone a little bit farther down the road of disease, and then diabetes, which is even farther down the road. So when you're insulin resistant, pre-diabetic or diabetic, it's very difficult for your body to produce ketones, even following a ketogenic diet. So this is why um, a lot of folks feel like they don't do so well, you know, on a ketogenic diet, partly because they really need sugar. They're not healthy enough to um, be able to produce ketones. So, so they're, they're just not quite ready for it. So that's why with the Fatburn Fix, I'm going to have them get ready for, for that. Eventually. Well, you helped us work through the keto reset diet protocol where we had this first phase, the 21-day metabolism reset, where it was like, hey, ditch grains and sugars and bad vegetable oils before we even talk about this keto stuff because we want you to get uh, skilled at burning body fat. So if you try it, uh, without the uh, requisite skills in place, what's going to happen? In other words, oh, good. I'm going to do keto. I'm going to cut my carbs. So how many carbs? Oh, 50 grams a day. Okay, I'm going to jump from point A to, to point B. What happens? You might feel kind of bad. Like this is what <laughs> they call the keto flu, right? Sometimes uh-huh. it, come, it can come from that. Um, but so what a lot of people do to get by with that and still be following a ketogenic diet is, is to snack. Right, so they'll snack on um, high fat and protein foods, which can definitely help because it's not necessarily going to help you produce ketones or lose weight, but it helps you get away from this dependence on sugar. So the justification for dumping a giant glob of butter in your coffee or uh, hitting hitting the bacon really hard four times a day is that it's keeping you away from the dark side of retreating back into sugar. Hopefully it is because you're satiated with your, I always say, just have a handful of macadamia nuts if you're thinking, if you're dreaming of a cliff bar in the afternoon, and that could be a, 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 a stop gap. Yeah, I mean, that, that might work. Yes, absolutely. But if you're trying to lose weight, having you know a handful of macadamia nuts can have 200 calories. You do two handfuls, that's 400. Suddenly now you're talking about if you're my height and you're trying to lose weight, that's that could make it impossible to lose weight. So if you're not able to make it that full span of time between meals, then you want to have, um, you know, a, a much, you want to be very careful about how, how much calories you actually consume as part of a snack. And so, and that's why I like, I have a whole protocol for it in the fat burn fix that I, I get people through it, um, it without having to do that. Cause I want to get people off snacks basically. Yeah. So, what's the uh, what's the what's the issue if you're snacking in a healthy manner and eating keto friendly snacks? Right. Well, so so truly, there is no such thing as a healthy snack. Right? Oh, because... healthy snack, oxymoron. <laughs> because snack on that for a moment. <laughs> because it's always going to be better to get your metabolism healthy enough so that you can burn body fat and you don't need snacks. Right, so if you snack, you're possibly preventing that from happening. Right, you're you're preventing yourself from dipping into your body fat, and and you know burning body fat is absolutely essential to producing ketones. Oh, but wait a second. What about my powdered ketone supplement or my bacon and butter regimen? Right. So, like, so the idea of having a ketone supplement to lose weight is is rather nonsensical. Um, it's, it's, you're going to get the benefits, the brain benefits and the energy boosting benefits of ketones so that it makes sense on that level, but not to help you lose weight because ultimately to lose weight, you have to burn your body fat. That's why my next book is called The Fat Burn Fix. We're talking about body fat. We're not talking about, you know, fat that you just ate because you know, why, why burn fat that you just ate? That's not gonna help you lose weight. You have to burn your body fat. Again, we're just trying to progress toward this state of metabolic flexibility where burning body fat and, and dialing in whatever desired body composition we want is a piece of cake. It's like a, I, I call it putting your hand on the dial and saying, yeah, I want to drop three more pounds. I'm just going to turn the dial and then make it happen. So if you're progressing toward that goal, I think supplements can come into play if they're keeping you away from the dark side. Same with the snacking. But to have yes. that thought in the back of our mind that this is not this keto thing is not about stuffing your face with fat bombs, and instead you're looking, you're envisioning a uh, a wonderful reality where you're just so good at burning body fat that you can 
give or take a meal. Yeah, it's like that's why I like the way you talk about metabolic <clears throat> switches and stuff like that. And um, it's because what you're trying to do is you're just trying to revive your metabolism. You're trying to get your metabolism so that you can burn your body fat. Your body fat will give you ketones. So even if you're following like a 90% carbohydrate diet, you can still generate ketones, right? Just as well as somebody following a 90% fat diet if you're metabolically healthy and flexible. You do so by not eating for a time period. The longer you go, so the more So Mr. Carb Dude who eats sweet potatoes for breakfast, uh, uh, quinoa for lunch, and whatever, even a, a vegan person who's in a high-carbohydrate intake pattern but is getting good at fasting, having these compressed eating windows, whatever the practice is, they can still enjoy the benefits. Absolutely. I mean, it's a common thing when, you know, when people are sick is uh, a common time where people fast. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> You told me this when I was, I was concerned about my low keto numbers. And I said, Kate, what's going on? I'm, I've fasted for 18 hours. I did a sprint workout and I, I pricked my finger and it was 0.3. And you said, well, you know, people that come into the ER with the flu have high skyrocket ketone values because they haven't eaten and they're sick and all that. So she, basically you said, don't worry about it. Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. The, the, the body will produce ketones if you go long enough without eating. It's, it's inevitable. But many people... Um, can't go that long without mm. eating because they start to feel bad and they start to feel seriously bad in a way that we've we've actually it's so common we have a name for it that we call it hypoglycemia and um, which means literally low blood sugar but it, it is your blood sugar is not literally low necessarily it's just relatively low in other words you need more than your bloodstream can deliver to your brain at any given time so your brain is not getting enough sugar. And even though your blood sugar might be technically normal, your brain's not getting enough because your bloodstream just simply cannot carry that many calories and sugar. It can't carry that much energy and sugar. We're supposed to be mostly fat-based for, for most of our, our energy. Um, and so this is what ketones really are for. I mean, the reason that we make, there's one reason that we make ketones, one, for one organ, the very special organ, the brain. Um, and, and that's why our body makes ketones. Other organs, our muscles can use ketones, but the reason nature needed to invent ketones is for the brain because the brain is protected by this thing called a blood brain barrier. And the blood brain barrier prevents big molecules from getting into the brain and fatty acids are big. And so what all that ketones are is basically partly, you know, pre-sliced fatty acids and the liver does the slicing. So you can think of it like a fatty acid is like the whole chicken and um, the ketones are like the chicken nuggets. You can just, the little very special spoiled brain can just kind of, you know, pick them up and doesn't need forks and knives and all that difficult stuff that other cells have to deal with. The brain needs the nuggets. So it just, the, the ketones diffuse right on in. And, um, as as sugar does, but fat can't do that. So that's why nature invented ketones for the brain. So what is the advantage of generating ketones via the burning of stored body fat because you're in caloric deficit or because you haven't eaten versus jumping into this dietary pattern where all your meals are hitting your macros and they're 75% fat and only 20% protein and 5% carbs? What's the What's the difference in terms of health benefits. We know the difference in weight loss benefits is you're going to lose weight if you're <laughs> fasting or eating in, in caloric deficit versus if you're stuffing your face with bacon, butter, and the fat bombs all day. But are there, are there any other concerns or... Well, yeah. You don't make ketones out of the bacon and butter. You make ketones out of your body fat. You don't make it out of ingested fat. Not necessarily. It's much a much more rare time or much lower concentration of ketones. So it's all regulated by your hormones, right? What your, what your liver does with your fat is regulated by your hormones. And when you are, when you've just eaten, your hormones are such that the fat that your body gets that would be broken down into ketones were you fasting, were your hormones different, actually gets converted into cholesterol, so that um, you know the bacon and butter that you just ate is going to be converted into cholesterol and raise your cholesterol and have your doctor freak out. So 
Um, not that your doctor should freak out, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but but so the it's actually a faster, easier way to get into ketosis just by fasting. But as we mentioned, most people are not healthy enough to fast for very long because they uh, have this toxic fat and, and their, their body is going to resist burning fat and insist on burning sugar and make them feel really crappy if they um, stop eating carbs or just stop eating, right? Because you, if you feel hungry or hangry or whatever, um, you can eat some butter or bacon, then, then you can use that for the other cells in your body, the other organs, they can use that fat and that's, that preserves whatever sugar your liver is making by gluconeogenesis out of the protein you ate for your brain. But um, it's a stupid way of doing it, honestly, because why eat protein for your brain to get sugar? That's like a waste of animals. <laughs> oh, because you're strictly limiting your carbs. Exactly. Right. right. So your, your brain still needs the sugar. So it's going to get it from breaking down muscle tissue in the case if you're not eating enough protein and you're right. in some crazy diet, then right. you're going to feel tired and emaciated. Right. right. Okay. So that's the, that, that seems like a common, common screw up is just not progressing toward this goal of skipping meals and fasting. Most people are doing keto because they want to lose weight. So, so keto, you're ready for keto once you um, are no longer needing to fast. And then, Wait, then you can follow you're keto. No longer I'm sorry, you're no to, longer needing to snack. When you can no make it between No longer needing meals. to snack. Yeah. Or what about skipping breakfast? You're able to last until noon or some yeah, benchmark. You might be ready for keto right. at that point in time too. And so keto is good. It has a purpose, but it's it's not everybody's ready for it at, right off the bat. And the purpose of course of keto is to reduce the help reduce the insulin so that you are you can reverse your insulin resistance, you know, somewhat. You reduce the insulin spikes and the insulin spikes you know, accelerate the whole process of developing diabetes from insulin resistance and all this. So you'll 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 stop that. But the underlying underlying cause is still this toxic body fat, which you have to um, continually be aware of, so that you don't eat more vegetable oil and and eat you know just build up more toxic body fat. There's actually a study that shows that following a ketogenic diet that is made out of vegetable oil. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, instead of really good fats, um, it, it, when you, when you give animals vegetable, they'll produce tons of ketones, but they actually get fatter on the same amount of calories because they feel so awful that they don't move. Oof. So they just sit there probably, and eat and get probably fatter. Probably relevant to the human. Yes. Probably people doing that right relevant. now. They get fatty liver, they get insulin resistant and they just don't, they're not active so that they just get fatter. So... Could it be an intermediate step to be stuffing your face with fat because you just want to get away from the high insulin producing diet? And are we okay transitioning over to, uh, I remember when I first transitioned to Primal, I switched my giant bowl of cereal that I'd had every morning since I was a kid over to this big, huge omelet every day. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's then a after, great first step. after a year, I realized when I woke up that I wasn't even hungry for this six egg omelet with the avocado slices on top that I had every single day to, to get away from my cereal. And then so when that awakening comes for the person out there who has this ambition to, to go keto and get all these benefits, they can just kind of work steadily toward that goal of realizing that they don't need to snack. But you, you were saying uh, off, off the air, like if you need to snack and you're hungry, it's just a sign that you're still working toward better fat metabolism and, and it's, you have to honor the, the, the hunger signal. Yes, you shouldn't just try to power through it because you could actually, you know, if you get headaches uh, particularly, you could actually end up getting serious brain problems, like even a small stroke. Yeah. So in the other show, you talked about the MRIs showing that the people get these getting these sugar headaches or these depletion headaches are similar to that of the patient with the the stroke. Now, does that mean if I'm in a carbohydrate dependency eating pattern, I get headaches, I report frequent headaches? Am I messing up my brain yes, like a like a stroke definitely. person? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear very well on the headphones. Did you say yes? Yes, and definitely. Oh, that's that's scary stuff. Yeah, actually, it really you know we should be paying more attention to these headaches instead and and to the whole 
concept of hypoglycemia, it's a serious problem and, um, and it, it can have serious consequences. You know, I'm not saying that every time you get a headache, you're, you're going to get like a lesion on your brain, but it, it is an indication that your brain is very, living very close to the edge there without getting enough energy. And I mean, what is a stroke, right? Well, stroke is a uh, sudden occlusion of blood in an artery that stops the flow of nutrients to the brain. Well, these headaches that are occurring due to energy crises are occurring because the brain is not getting enough, maybe it's oxygen, or maybe it's, um, maybe it's energy, maybe it's sugar. The brain's not getting enough of something to operate. And, um, and it, it can actually end up being a stroke because when the brain is operating, you know, let's say you're, you know, I don't know, let's say you're trying to do your taxes. Let's say you're an accountant and it's tax season and um, you're concentrating, you got all these papers piled up on your desk. You can't take a break. You're getting a killer headache because you're using your brain. Now it's like any other organ. It's like a muscle, exercising muscle. It needs more blood, but it's not getting it. That's why you get the headache. And so when your brain needs more blood than it gets, it very well could end up causing a tiny little sm- stroke. So if we're living in a pattern of frequent headaches, bad dietary habits, and you add up a thousand headaches, we're looking toward brain degeneration. And uh, am I aware of some, is there science showing the connection between the high sugar diet and the increased cases of cognitive decline? I mean, aren't people touting that kind of association because the, the glucose is burning dirty as well? Well, definitely. So those people who um, study this, uh, like uh, David Perlmutter, Dr. David Perlmutter is kind of on the leading edge of this, at least um, you know, publicizing the studies that have been done. He doesn't, I don't think he does any studies himself, but he talks um, about some really good science. And um, he uh, has keeps showing that, um, keeps sharing the research where people are developing prediabetes and, and prediabetes so strongly correlates with Alzheimer's that he calls he calls Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. And, you know, I would say that's totally reasonable because if your brain is dependent on sugar and you can't produce ketones, then you are going to get a lot of these little tiny strokes and that's going to permanently damage some areas of your brain and can lead to Alzheimer's. Um, that said, a lot of times the the brain can still regenerate at any age, and, and a lot of times people do dramatically better when they change their diet. And in fact, you can see arterial blockages that are a hundred percent clear up when people change their diet on on MRI. How long does it take to notice those effects or reverse some of the damage of high sugar eating? So this is just an anecdotal story in, in this particular case. Um, I think it was 35 weeks that, but between MRIs. Like I don't, We don't know how long it really took, but we know that there were 35 weeks between and one showed a 100% blockage and the other one showed a normal looking artery. And it was the, along with it, um, there weren't any cognitive tests done, but it, the, the MRI was done because the doctor that does these MRIs has an MRI machine in his office um, just to test visceral fat, actually. He was doing that. He noticed so many people reporting that their brain function was improving. He started doing brain MRIs. And um, as soon as he started, he found this you know one guy who had a total blockage. And then 35 weeks later, he's a completely different you know mental state, feels like his brain actually works for him mm-hmm. again. And, and, and there's no blockage. And in a major artery, this is like the middle cerebral artery or something. That's a big, important artery in the brain. And, um, and it was a miracle. It is a healed, he had essentially a major artery blocked and now he doesn't. And there was no stent, no surgery, no cardiac surgeon or neurologist saying, I'm going to, you know, open your brain and rewire stuff and router rooter arteries. It was all 100% natural, the body doing what it does when supported by a healthy diet. This this was like a pretty extreme dietary transition where the person went keto for a number of weeks or... Well, actually, the goal wasn't really so much keto. The goal was stop eating vegetable oils Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, eat whole foods, eat plenty of vegetables and and get lots of you know whole whole food protein sources which includes the fat you know fatty fish and fatty cuts of meat and nuts and just eat a normal diet basically you know a, a human diet and um and and that's what did it fantastic <laughs> let's do it but do do it the right way so right. we we can envision this intermediate step 
of perhaps needing to stuff your face with fat. If you come from a world of metabolic damage and all that, and just to keep that satiety going, and I guess keep energy jumping right into the bloodstream while you're someday working toward becoming a good fat burner and a good faster. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I've sort of dissed the keto diet a little too much, but I use it a lot because it's very helpful for people who have carb addiction and sweet tooths and stuff like that. You get away from that association that you have with your own habits and then that your brain truly has learned to associate sugar and glucose and sweet taste and carbs with energy and its own function being better, being improved. So when you get away, you know, when you're healthy enough to totally drop out your carbs and your sugar and you do that for an extended period of time, your your brain starts to rewire itself, your, your taste buds start to rewire itself. And that has to happen for any diet to become sustainable Mm. because until you enjoy your diet, until you become somebody who craves healthy foods, you're always going to be living, you know, one stressful day away from heading back to the popcorn and cheesecake and cookies and, you know, piles of stuff that you know is bad for you. I'm sorry, my my earpiece wasn't working yet. Did you say popcorn on that list? <laughs> oh mercy, that's that's tough. Now, just just for fun, I'm gonna I'm gonna say hypothetically speaking, maybe when uh, when the, when the popcorn machine's going, I really really enjoy it because I I've restricted grains extremely for the last ten years. Pretty cold turkey on any form of grains, but the popcorn is leaked back in there. So is this is is this a constant sort of the, the presence of these, um, whatever they are, high glycemic foods, the human's wired to enjoy those. And so working through that and, and uh, emphasizing the other foods is going to work to a certain extent, but I'm always going to have like a soft spot for popcorn or something. Yeah, it's natural to to like the sweet thing. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, at, at, at looking at you <laughs> and knowing you, um, I don't think anybody would say you have a problem with eating too much popcorn. Right. And, and and knowing that you also crave actually truly healthy foods and you do eat a lot of, I mean, it's not like you, we had a big dinner yesterday and, and you had for dessert something like- uh, We busted out the dark exactly. chocolate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you have it under control. As long as, it, and that's what the key really, it, the key word there is control, right? Like as long as the popcorn's not controlling you and you're controlling the popcorn, you can have your popcorn. And I suppose if someone admitted, oh, you know, the, 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 the pint of ice cream controls me, I have it five out of seven days a week, that's probably an underlying, there's an underlying condition that's not you're a stupid, sorry-ass loser, but you got something wrong that's that's pushing you toward there and the, the accelerated appetite hormones and things like that, that the person like Gary Taub says, it's not your fault as his quote about uh, uh, obesity and, and so forth. It's because of the hormone dysregulation and the p- profound cravings for high sugar foods coming from inability to burn fat or Correct. the toxic in- ingestion of toxic vegetable oils. Exactly. So, I mean, 99% of people who are overweight have the metabolic problem as a core issue that needs to be resolved before they can really, truly um, regain control, the kind of control right. that they need to have in order for the diet to be come a new lifestyle, which is what you have to do. You, you can't just follow a ketogenic diet for six months and drop 90 pounds and then expect to get back to a regular American, standard American diet, because that's going to be more vegetable oils. I mean, I would say that you could if we had a normal food chain, the, the sort of food chain that we had 100 years ago where there was actual food available in the grocery store. But the 66% of the average American's cal- caloric intake comes from three ingredients, sugars, refined sugars, flowers and vegetable oils, right? So that leaves 33% for nutrition. No wonder people don't feel good. 66% is junk. And it's giving you... Three ingredients of junk. It's giving you calories to burn in in a dirty manner because the mitochondria is not activated, right? Right. And very little else, just shortening your lifespan, I guess. Right. And that's what's happened. Because we have, you know, for the first time... Now, um, in recorded history, we have children with a shorter lifespan, life expectancy than their, their parents. And so thank you very much, Harvard. That's what you've done in telling us to avoid saturated fat and you know cut salt and worry constantly about your blood cholesterol numbers and don't eat eggs or anything like that. So that's, that's Harvard. That's the legacy of um, you know, the, the Ivy League Medical Association. 
and and the other pillars that we we sort of automatically or inherently respect due to I guess you'd say branding and and brainwashing, but it's 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 a pretty serious accusation. You, you told me Harvard's bought and sold, and everybody knows it. And when that coconut oil thing came out, and I think it's pause for reflection where. We, we don't have time to think critically about this stuff, so we're going to go to our, our resources. But then it turns out um, they're cherry-picking information. You mentioned the Minnesota, what was it called, the Minnesota Heart Study, the Minnesota Cardiac Study? The Min- Minnesota Coronary Experiment. Yeah, yeah, you can Google this, and it says previously <sighs> suppressed data or th- terms like that, where you're like, these people were doing, you know, a, a, a high-profile scientific experiment, and now we're finding that they suppress data. That's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do get actually... kicked out of Harvard for that, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe you just get promoted get to promoted. tenured professor. <laughs> exactly. I mean, no joke. It's I mean, the corporate relationships that run everything, and so <laughs> <laughs> funding the person's research, so they have to sort of toe the line. Of, yes, exactly. And and that's the problem is that, um, you know, follow the money. It's a cliche, but uh, we haven't done it when it comes to nutrition science. And, um, it, you know, some, there's like one journalist, Nina Teicholz, who's working in this space. And, um, and uh, you know, she has done an amazing job of, of trying to catch people. Um, these are a lot of older people now who uh, were part of this whole cover-up and, and stuff that has happened over the past... They all you know, have, a lot they of all have the dementia, though, so they can't really... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of them are dead now because, I mean, this was done so long ago, right? But um, when she was doing the interviews, uh, a lot of people she tried to interview were, were kind of like duck and cover. They were like, I can't talk about that like gag order type stuff, you know, CIA level, <laughs> you know, black ball, just I don't want my family to get killed sort of <laughs> scenarios because the the edible oil industry kind of is the big, is big oil, right? When it comes to nutrition, that is big oil and they run a lot of the research and um, they basically run these institutions of so-called higher learning in medicine. So... When we see that heart healthy on the label of the vegetable oil, you told me the the price tag. This was to, to get on to get the heart healthy terminology on your food label. Yeah, companies pay seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for the heart healthy check. So like Kellogg's and um, you know the people who make Honey Nut Cheerios, they bought that. Um, that was the price tag, you know, fifteen years ago. I imagine it's gone up now. If they still have that, now they have, or they may have something else. But there's always some way to earn money by um, trying to say you're healthy and having the American Heart Association, um, you know, say that they improve. So basically, if the American Heart Association says it's healthy, it's probably a red flag that you should avoid it. Well, that's uh, <laughs> a, a nice pop off comment, but we also have to go back to what the last 50 years of taking the advice of the American Heart Association and seeing the rates of heart disease, obesity, cancer climbing to the point where now the kids are going to live less lengthy than their parents. So whatever, wherever you stand on the sides of the debate and your previously near and dear beliefs, we obviously have a major massive problem here in modern society where a large portion of the people are trying to do the right thing I mean, we have the junk food, stupid, lazy loser who sits on the couch, plays video games and eats crap and, and good luck to them. But all these people who are, who are working out in, in a devoted manner and shopping and watching their calories and looking at labels that say heart healthy, that's the part where there's the extreme concern that we're being brainwashed and, and manipulated due to corporate interests. And they end up eating the same three ingredients that the stupid, uh, lazy guy on the couch. It's, the same it's just packaged differently. Oils. The exactly. Honey Nut Cheerios right. versus right, right, the deep fried onion rings. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, we're checking off our bullshit meter box. <laughs> and oh, just back to the keto story. So it seems like there's this common notion that if you just stuff your face with enough fat, you're going to make a bunch of ketones. And you're going to, the higher number, the better. And you're shaking your head going, no, 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 no. Right. So, I mean, you, ketone production in the liver is regulated by your hormones. And so the, the state of your hormones that has to occur is low insulin, which you'll get, you know, more readily following a lower carb diet than a higher carb diet. But also has to be high glucagon, and you're not going to get that when you've just eaten. 
So, um, and, and even just a little bit of food will bump up your insulin level enough that shuts down ketone production because the body has to prepare to store the fat, right? So that's the real thing is that your body is getting ready to do something different with the fat that it receives. The liver doesn't know where the fat came from. It, it's just receiving fatty acids, but it does know how many it's getting at once and what else is coming along with it. And that is a signal of what to do with it. So if it's getting a whole ton, it's going to start making cholesterol particles so that it can go to the body fat for storage. And if it's just getting a little bit in dribs and drabs and it has a little bit of insulin and a lot of glucagon, then it's going to start breaking up the fatty acids that it gets into little pieces, snips, snipping them up into ketones. So it's never, ever, ever going to get a whole ton of extra fat if you're not eating, because as as human uh, metabolic function is going, like you've taught me uh, wonderfully, the body makes exactly what it needs and no more of anything ever, right. including ketones. So if we're fasting and we're asking ourselves to perform at peak cognitive task at our desk, or we're walking on a three-hour hike, or we're an athlete who's highly fat adapted and is going for a, a tempo run of an hour and hasn't eaten in 12 hours, we're making whatever we need to get through the performance, so to speak, mm -hmm. but no more. Right. In contrast, when we eat the six-egg omelet, we're slamming down a bunch of calories that we certainly don't need at the time, then we got to go to work. And so you're saying make cholesterol rather than make ketones because of right. our, our handful of macadamia nuts and our three fat bomb balls. Exactly. So the, the body figures that when you're getting a whole bunch of stuff coming in, well, first of all, it's got to store it. So it has to, it has to slow down ketone production and shift over into more cholesterol production. Um, and, and it also figures that there's probably going to be enough nutrition for the cell, most of the cells to use that, that whatever sugar the liver can produce or whatever sugar was in the food is going to be good enough for the brain. So it won't need to produce ketones. So it's just, if you if you kind of like think about, well, why does the body do what it does and what does the body need to accomplish, then it really helps you come up with a lot more logical and reasonable explanations for how things are. Uh, I think Peter Atia mentioned that you can also make glucose from ingested fats, the glycerol, or, or from stored fats. So in other words, if you're not... And adjusted, yeah. So they all have, they're all triglyceride. So right, whether right. it's you ate it or your body, yes, it, it, absolutely. And you, you can make glucose. Mm -hmm. So if you're not good at burning fat, mm -hmm. you're not good at fasting, mm -hmm. but you decide to go keto and you bought some random book, not the Keto Reset Diet, quoting frequently from Dr. Kate Shanahan, but whatever, you watch a YouTube video <laughs> and you start just stuffing your face with fat three times a day or five times a day or having the snacks and just loading up on fat. I have a great anecdote from... Uh, my my friend's uh, friend who showed up at lunch and whipped out a stick of butter and sliced the butter. Every time she took a bite of whatever was on her plate, she just threw more butter on. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I'm going keto, right? So if we if we have this flawed approach, we're we're, we're defeating the purpose. Well, yeah. I mean, you're eating so many calories that I mean, how are you going to lose weight if you're eating extra calories and um, you know, calories do matter, right? There's a lot of folks talking about how calories don't matter. No, calories do matter, but they're not the only thing that matters. There's far from the only thing that matters. But um, it's important to realize that you can eat too many calories on a ketogenic diet very easily because that is so rich in calories. So, um, you know, if what you're trying to accomplish is weight loss, then that's a definitely a flawed approach. If what you're trying to accomplish is more nutrients from butter and you're getting grass-fed butter, well, then it works for that. <laughs> but if you're, if you're just blindly trying to enjoy the vaunted benefits of high ketone numbers on your meter and you're, you're striving to do that through massive ingestion of fat, purposeful ingestion of extra fat, you're heading down a dead-end road, it sounds like. Absolutely. I mean, it's much more efficient to fast, uh, you know, and that's a better way to produce ketones if you're healthy enough. If you try to do that and you don't feel good, then you're not healthy enough and you should do something else, right? Like you're just not ready for, for those high numbers just right now. That's all. Uh, so you mentioned glucagon, not glycogen, glucagon, which is the counter-regulatory hormone of insulin. So you're saying when you're eating any sort of meal, the glucagon is going to spike? 
Yeah. So, uh, no, I'm sorry. Glucagon is going to drop. You need drop. to have glucagon at a certain amount in order for the enzyme that produces ketones in your liver to be activated. And glucagon's role is, like I said, counter-regulatory. So it's bringing, it's taking things out of storage and putting them into the bloodstream for energy. Correct. The opposite of insulin. Yes. Right. So when you eat anything, glucagon falls. Correct. Depend. Doesn't matter the macronutrient composition. It could be a hundred percent fat snack or macadamia nuts, which are mostly fat. Right. You're going to suppress glucagon mm-hmm. and thereby inhibit ketone production. You got it exactly. Where do the supplements fall into that? So if you ingest directly, you mainline the ketone uh, drink, yeah. you're going to shut off internal ketone production because you just got some with the supplement. So, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I don't know how ketones themselves regulate. So, because we haven't really studied that. Like, we know how sugar regulates these enzymes, we know how fat regulates, we know how protein. But I don't know how, I personally off the top of my head don't fully know. I would imagine it's the same as just like any eating. Like actually I would imagine it's very similar to alcohol because alcohol is basically um, a precursor to acetate and ketones are also a precursor to acetate, which is a two-carbon molecule. That oh, so now I can drink to, to help get, get my keto, you get keep the my benefits, keto on? You get the benefits of ketones from alcohol. You won't necessarily see ketones at a high level in your bloodstream, but you get the same benefits in terms of energy for your brain because al- your brain loves alcohol. No surprise. (laughs) Bullshit meter turning on. Now, wait a second. Your brain, does your brain burn alcohol efficiently? I mean, well, so what happens is that your liver has to process it. So, alcohol as alcohol is not good, right? mm -hmm. It's a solvent. But what happens is your liver, if you drink slowly, your liver processes it into acetate and can make ketones out of it or can make fat out of it. uh, and a lot of other stuff it can make out of it. But um, but so if your liver, if you're, let's say you're drinking at this perfect rate where you don't really get too much of an alcohol buzz, most of the alcohol is quickly converted into acetate, your brain is then going to be experiencing the benefits of ketones. And I truly believe that a big part of why people like alcohol is because it gives you this energy benefit to your brain of ketones. It, of course, it also is a solvent and a social, it has like all kinds of, social lubricant effects, which are wonderful for a lot of folks. And, you know, that releases dopamine and whatnot. But, but you know, you have to really moderate it because it is a solvent and can be toxic. <laughs> so if you're sipping red wine throughout your evening at the art gallery, yeah, exactly. your brain is making wonderful <laughs> insights looking at the abstract paintings. Yes. And you are most... Um, Did you make up that term, alcohol is a social lubricant? That's very... It's a very nice, no, descriptive term. It. I'm feeling a little lubricated here after my wine. Okay. We'll leave the audience to process the rest of that. I stole it from somebody. I have no idea who came up with that. Um, so now with our rapid fire bullshit meter turned on, we, I want to get to some other topics because you're kind of tripping me out uh, throughout the morning here. And um, I was talking about my aversion to coffee based on my longstanding belief uh, highly informed that I am, that I, I didn't want to ingest a central nervous system stimulant. This dates back to when I was an athlete because I wanted to experience my full fatigue level every day as an athlete so I would inform my training decision accordingly. I didn't want to slam myself with a coffee and heavy metal music and go out there and pedal when I really was kind of tired and dragging and stiff. And that was my thought process so that I, I didn't want to pay the price later. And you're going... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about that? So, caffeine is kind of miraculous <laughs> in that it it like magnifies the um, effect of your adrenaline. But if you are super tired and you don't have any adrenaline, and then it's going to have no effect. Caffeine's not going to have any effect. It's just not going to pick me up if I'm already down. Yeah. Right. Oh. I mean, you know, this what is are all these your people, metabolism follows the textbook rules. What are all these Nick Nolte saying in in the Woody Allen movie where he's staggering around until he gets his coffee? Because obviously he looks trashed. Like people are saying, I, I can't function without my coffee. Well, so what happens is your body's very smart. If you always have coffee, say at seven in the morning, your body says, okay, I'm not going to produce so much of whatever, like cyclic AMP or whatever thing that it, it, your cells are getting energy from the the adrenaline. 
or I'm not going to even produce that much adrenaline. I'm just going to wait for the coffee, oh. right? So it's you habituate to it if it's a if it's a, a ritual kind of a thing. So then you become you know temporarily dependent on it. And if you go cold turkey, you're going to feel bad for a few days, but then things will restore and you'll be fine again. Or you just cut down gradually and you'll never notice anything. <laughs> is it a time of day thing or is it just the general time ingestion of, of the substance your body, your biological clock is used to a Correct. jolt? Yes. Your, your, your body and your, um, these circadian hormones are very tied to time of day and biological clock. So they keep track of what time it is and what time you were getting your coffee and, and they uh, turn up and turn down accordingly. So it'll magnify the effect of adrenaline, mm-hmm. and is that is there any adverse uh, effects to that? If you have like um, you know like a tendency to get cardiac palpitations, then you can get more palpitations, but they're not considered dangerous. Um, beyond that, no. The the most of the problem that people have from caffeine is from the other stuff that comes with coffee or tea, like the theobromine and zea, like zeaxanthin and uh, some of these other molecules that actually kind of upset the stomach a lot or overactivate the nervous system in the stomach. So you mm. get really grumbly, crampy stomach. A lot of people get that kind of thing. Um, some people get like uh, breast cysts or cysts in their skin from caffeine for some reason. I don't really know, but I'm sure it has something to do with... Um, the 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 caffeine itself and uh, and or just like the other ingredients in coffee, so they have to avoid it. But you know, beyond those those kinds of complications that some people have, for the most part, it's it's a pretty wonderful substance. It's I think isn't it like the most like beyond? It might even be beat water because I know there are people that don't drink water. Your dad, you saying, caffeine. lives on caffeine <laughs> yeah. and does these m- midnight work binges and then goes back to sleep and then drinks more caffeine, drinks more coffee. He's either drinking coffee, asleep, or doing CrossFit. That's his lifestyle. <laughs> and he's been that way since I've known him, which has been a while. So, And, and he's he- an example of highly productive longevity. He's in his 70s and he's still working hard and working out hard. So something's going okay for him. Caffeine can't be that bad. Could you use it as a uh, you know a performance enhancer if it's time to go to your workout at 5 p.m. after a long, difficult day at the office and you're not quite feeling jacked up? Or at 3 p.m. when it's time to work on your presentation for tomorrow and you're just dragging ass a little bit? Yeah, so maybe, right? Like it depends if you are able to produce adrenaline. You know, if you get enough adrenaline going on your own, then it magnifies that effect. But if you just are so wiped that you don't really produce enough adrenaline, um, then it's got nothing to magnify and it's not going to help. So it's not independent. It's not an independent. It's not like Ca- meth or whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that. It's not, it's not in that same category. No, it, uh-huh. do, it doesn't work that So it's going to take some raw material and yeah. mold it. Yeah, okay. So those things work because they are neurotransmitters and they directly stimulate the nerve. So ca- the way caffeine works is um, the, the neurotransmitter is adrenaline and caffeine magnifies mm. that signal. Mm. I suppose you would say there's no good... Uh, outside source of neurotransmitter <laughs> magical energy that's not going to put you in the you're not going to lose teeth eventually. Yeah, that I wouldn't those that seems like dangerous territory when you're giving yourself neurotransmitters. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Well, the on to my next um category was supplements, the supplement world, the multi-billion dollar supplement world. So many people w- we don't learn to cook. And so it just seems so much easier to swallow a pill that's going to have these miraculous effects. But what they're doing is they're selling you stuff that your body makes out of food. And if you eat it, even if you eat it in the food, you know, when you eat eggs, you get a good amount of uh, phosphatidylcholine, but still your body breaks it down and has to reform it, you know, so, so that it... Um, and it may or may not elect to reform it. It may take those fatty acids and do something completely different with it, or it may break down the ethanolamine and turn it into something completely different. You can't control what the body's going to do once you give it these raw materials. But most supplements are, are stuff like that, like choline is another example. It's stuff that your body, your cells need to make this, and they need to make it. And if you're eating it and giving it to your body, 
Your body doesn't want to be told what to do. A lot of these things have regulatory effects on the cells. And so when you eat this sort of thing, if your body couldn't digest it, you would be in big trouble. So it's a good thing that you're you're wasting your money on your supplements because if you weren't, you would, you know, bad things would happen when you're regulating your cellular your metabolism and your cellular activity by what you eat. Because that's not how it's done. The cells need to be in charge of what they're doing, not your not your, your supplements that you're taking. So what do you mean it's a good thing that you're spending the money on this stuff? It's a good thing that your body that you're wasting your money on the stuff yeah. that that it's a, that it turns out that it's a waste of money because if it oh, actually oh, it's had a good thing effect, that it's, right, it, right, right. it could be bad. Right. So if I get the message from a, a functional medicine practitioner or whomever saying you're 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 training so hard you're depleting your B vitamins and so you need a B complex as well as you need manganese and you need this one and you need that one because we've identified you and some somewhat reputable, let's say it's a blood test or whatever. That's the usual protocol, right? You get tested and they say, oh, you need some more iron if it's a, a straight up MD and looking at your, your CBC or if you're going to a woo-woo doctor and they're going to pick out these other things that are going to magically heal you. Are we, do we have a percentage of, of BS on that whole, that whole thought process and that whole protocol of taking targeted supplements? So if you're replacing something that your diet is deficient in, then that's a good thing. If you're replacing something, if you're eating something that you're you're getting enough of already, it's not really doing you very much good. Any bad? Uh, if I'm if taking can, a simple multi way, that's... No, I mean, not if it's close to balanced, right? If it's way imbalanced, which most of them are, um, oh. then it can be bad. And we know that like vitamin A increases the risk of certain kind of... Um, Lung cancer, you know, and so there's, um, there's calcium a magnesium curve. balance too, right? Every, right? All the old ladies are taking calcium and they're depleting magnesium accordingly because they're over overdosing. Y- yeah, or their bodies just can't use it without the whole full complement of stuff, so it ends up in their arteries, and so you know, there's that U-shaped curve, right? It's bad if you don't get enough, but it's bad if you get too much, and this applies to to you know all the essential nutrients, amino acids, vitamins, minerals. Do you think that? We're good at identifying deficiencies. So if I no. go in and spend hundreds of dollars on some fancy pantsy test, no, we're very bad at it. It's because <laughs> the reason is simply that we can't measure what we need to measure, and so you can be peeing, spitting, and um, you know donating blood for these tests, but you really need to measure the tissue concentrations, and nobody's taking biopsies. Can so, you do that to a live person without much trouble? I, I know you can go take a muscle biopsy and see your fast twitch to slow twitch, but it's super painful apparently and and, and well, cost prohibitive and all that. And it would also be worthless because we don't know what the normal levels are since no one's done it. Oh, <laughs> you could, <laughs> we could be the first few people to start normalizing. Right. Okay, so really um, there's no good way to ter- determine. There's one good way. Check all four boxes and eat the four pillars of world cuisine. Measure what you're eating. And how do you do that? So, well, my favorite app is the chronometer. They should be like giving me some sort of they should free ad space on their site because I would direct everybody to a chronometer, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R. That's the funnest app to use for just like it gives you all your uh, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and stuff like that. Oh, and you okay. just type in what you ate and see what you're regularly deficient in day after day, and that's probably a, you know, something you should supplement. Uh, so the RDAs <laughs> are pretty respectable when That's they the say... That's the best thing we have. Right. We don't have any better. Right. So what Genova Labs is doing, which is very interesting, is they're creating their own sort of database out of like what is the spectrum of the population. And they're they're calling the middle of the road there normal. It may not be. But that's how they define whether you're good or bad. And in a in a world where we eat mostly junk food, and um, you know our metabolism, where ninety percent of the population is insulin resistant, I'm not sure that that's very you know valuable. What they want to do is they want to normalize it to those few percentage of the population that doesn't have insulin resistant, but they're normalizing it to their whole population. So let's 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 go check the Olympic athletes and normalize to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean. It, it, it seems like if you took the most exceptional health specimens, like the the, the 107 year old guy that cut my hair yesterday, <laughs> and dr- driving from upstate New York, World Speed Golf Championships to here in Southern Connecticut, uh, Mia Moore, my girl, read a, a news story 
about this guy who was getting lauded for his uh, longest Guinness World Record oldest barber. And it's like, <laughs> wait a second, Newberg is on our route to Dr. Kate's house. And we stopped off and this dude gave me a haircut at 107. From, yeah, from the 50s, right? Now you look like Don Draper. He, he got me good. Yeah, <laughs> he took his time. But something that guy's doing is working and everyone uh, kind of, you know, they, they default to, oh, he's lucky, he has good genes, let's write that off and uh, I'll, I'll cross my fingers and hope my fate isn't a disaster like it has been for uh, people in my family tree. And I think that's what your life's work has been about is to second guess this kind of notion and say, hey, look, we, you know, if you're not eating the four pillars and you're getting two thirds of your calories from, from crap, you're, you're tempting fate, right? Absolutely. There's no way you can be as healthy as you should be if that's your diet. And, and importantly, there's no way you can have health, uh, children who are as healthy as they could and should be if that's what you've been eating and if that's what you feed them. Is a lot of damage done for the first 18 years where your kid ate too much crap and now Some things we had a window of time there, like your brain development? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, like autism, right? Just, you're born with that. You can do a lot better when you fix your diet. You can, do, you can have remarkable turnarounds when you fix your diet. But you are starting from a different baseline, you know, tragically, right? It's, it's, there's opportunities that are lost all around this country you know, for the past 50, 60 years, thanks to Harvard, thanks to the lie the, that created this experiment that we're all living in now where we're eating 60% of our calories from absolute junk. What was that quote? Uh, I mean, you, you characterize it as um, the great human experiment. Really, it has been an experiment to see how many people die. I forget your exact words. It was pretty gnarly. Well, yeah, I don't know what I said, but I, I mean, it is it is an experiment that we're all living in, and it's an experiment to see, you know, um, how much chronic disease we can create, you know, how long we can keep people with chronic diseases alive, and while we continue to um, foster the development of more chronic disease, we want to keep them alive with, with with prescriptions, right? So we let them to keep eating their junky diet that's making them sick. And invent prescriptions that keep them from dying, so they can, can remain consumers of our crappy diet and all of our pharmaceuticals. Make profit off the, Th that's off the prescriptions. That's the experiment that we're living in, and it's very dystopian. It sounds dystopian, and it is dystopian. I mean, it's completely. This is my. That's my life as a doctor. Is is like opening people's eyes to that reality, so that they can opt out of the system altogether. And unfortunately, you know, people have some. You know, fortunately, people have a sense that that's happening and they're going more to alternative methods. And unfortunately, there's just as many shysters in the alternative medicine world as there are, you know, I mean, doctors don't go to medicine to become shysters and people don't go into alternative medicine to become shysters, but they just don't dig deeply enough into their profitable business models to question whether what they're doing is really beneficial or could it be, you know, very unbeneficial. Right. Just, just to... Um just to frame this, it seems like there's not a lot of uh, lying, devious, cold-hearted people, but they have blinders on and they're not thinking critically and therefore they're buying into um, the the conventional notions. Dr. Timothy Noakes is a great example where he's you know tearing out pages of his previous <laughs> best-selling book right. because he's open-minded and willing to accept a new paradigm, which is the, the, the fat-burning paradigm rather than the carbohydrate paradigm in relation to exercise physiology and endurance performance where... And the gate, remember you said follow the money? So the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, it's not hard to follow the money because it's called the Gatorade <laughs> Sports Science Institute. And these are people that are highly educated, highly trained, doing their life's work to see how the body metabolizes certain different types of sugar when you're out there running a marathon so you can get the best energy. But no one thought about the faster study, which is only a few years old, where it's like, oh, long distance endurance athletes don't even need sugar at the extreme examples. They can go on fat and ketones if they don't uh, throw those gels down their throat every 20 minutes. Right. If they're fat adapted. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a more peaceful way to, to look at it. But boy, to you know, my shout out to like a, the physician world who dispense dietary advice, I just have to, I just have to raise my hand and go bullshit because if you're if you're if if you don't know what you don't know, that's the right. most number one rank, most dangerous, worse than the shyster who's spouting off and you know uh, just 
uninformed or even devious, but wow, how do we how do we turn this around? How do we tell the doctors to shut their mouth when it comes to dispensing nutrition advice, for example? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you have to do is you have to have yourself a compelling enough story that people believe it. And so, you know, I usually start my consultations with people by telling the story, like, here's my philosophy so that I can elect, so that people, I mean, can elect to decide whether it makes sense to them or not, right? Well, if you go uh, strict, hardcore vegan, and so you're you're departing from this 66% eating <laughs> shit, and now you're going and uh, having your lentil soup and your brown rice, um, I imagine any departure from standard American diet is going to generate fabulous, That's wonderful right. results. Exactly. Now, the follow-up question would be like, are we looking at trouble a year later or two years later because you're not getting the glycosaminoglycans from the meat on the bone and you're not getting the organ meats and so you're going to kind of wind down the benefits and you're going to start feeling depleted? Well, you know, you won't feel depleted so much as you just won't feel as good as you could, right? Like I guess, you know, it's it's kind of more like um, it's a way to age faster, right? If if you need something that you're not getting, you're going to age faster. And we have no reference point. Right. Because we think 80, <laughs> I mean, we do have reference point. Uh, Jeanne Calmont from France, she's the world record holder. I intend to beat her. She's 120, <laughs> she died at 122 years old. Oh Go goodness. look at her on YouTube. She has an interview when she was 119, sharp as a tack, oh. and then ordering her a wheelchair person to, to move her along that the interview was over. It's beautiful. <laughs> Avant the mosh, she said at the end. So we have reference point. And then we think, eight, speaking of two-thirds, we think 80 is impressive longevity. Two-thirds right. of our potential is just fine. And so that that's, seems weird to me when we know that a human can go this long. Well, not everybody can because it really depends on your connective tissue. So like Connective you, tissue is a big longevity? It is uh, the determining factor of your quality of life as, as you age. You're, it's what holds you together, right? It's what makes up your joints. It's what makes up your skin. So if you're somebody that has skin that looks pretty good, chances are that your joints also look pretty good. I mean, it's not 100% there, but um, but chances are that because what you want is joints that last. And of course, very, very important is your arteries, right? We can't mm. really see these unless we do an ultrasound, but does that count as connective aneurysms. tissue? Arteries? Yeah, they're made out of they're connective, connective tissue. tissue. Yes. So arteries, skin, joints. They're made out of connective tissue. Okay. So they're they're not they're not skeleton, but they're made out of like collagen and cartilage and that kind of um, supposed to be elasticy, stretchy, sturdy stuff. And they're supposed to not have aneurysms. And if our connective tissue isn't that good, they develop aneurysms and they bleed and we die. Um, and and um, if our connective tissue is not good enough, then our joints hurt, you know, way more than they're supposed to as we age. Then we don't exercise as much, whatever. Exactly. So it can be a vicious cycle and shuts us down. So so there are some people who are just that truly genetically lucky and, you know, blessed basically with this fantastic connective tissue. We're all supposed to be that way, mm. mind you. Like it's that's supposed to be an, an something that we um, get with birth, with our birth certificate. But because our diets have been sort of screwy for generations now, our, you know, our genes aren't at their full potential anymore. Didn't you uh, have the cutoff date of 1950? So if you were born before that and you were raised <laughs> on these home-prepared traditional meals, you're, you're way better off than the post-war baby, baby boomer who was eating TV dinners instead of grandmother's bone broth. Exactly, exactly. That's now right. we'll do our best to catch up by consuming the <laughs> four right. pillars of world cuisine. Kate Shanahan, Deep Nutrition, thanks again. This was going to be a short show, but we, we got into it, and I, I appreciate <laughs> you. You're, you're doing great stuff. Go get the book. Where else do we um, connect with you uh, well, for more connective tissue? DrKate.com. <laughs> DrKate.com. Right, yep. right. But mostly I'm in clinic, you know, working with people every day. Fighting, fighting the battle on the front lines, and also I think yeah. that's what that's what I like about it is you, you get that special insight where you're not just sitting in a lab doing research or sitting in a, a beautiful office writing books, but you're also dealing with real humans and getting coughed on, like you like you said, and <laughs> making sure that you have your fermented foods to, to ward off illness in the wintertime, all that stuff. <laughs> right. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Dr. Kate, bringing it. Thank you.
Thanks, Brad. It's been fun. <laughs> so, Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive. We're we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen、uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's fucking the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing actually she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh yeah. And、uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So so endearing.、Uh, how old、um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have、uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch.、Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive, and yes, Primal Kitchen. You can call it Wilder Ranch dressing if you want, <laughs> and、uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park as they're they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> It's my pleasure.